You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. Genesis 32 is where we're going to be this morning. And uh, let's go ahead and stand as you're searching for Genesis 32. This says, a reminder, Jacob is heading home. He's heading back to the promised land after 20 years with Uncle Laban. And along the way, Jacob has faced challenge after challenge, hazard after hazard, and yet the Lord has helped him every step of the way. God is like the pilot car. It's like the house moving down Minnesota Avenue on the back of that trailer. There were pilot cars guiding them around every light pole and around the street lights and around the trees and around the, the cars. I mean, helping them get around the hazards. The pilot car didn't remove the hazards. It just simply guided the house through the hazards. And that's what God has done in Jacob's life. And Jacob has learned this. He's continuing to learn this. But he's about to face the biggest hazard of his life. And that is his brother Esau. You remember Esau is that brother that that hates Jacob and wants Jacob dead. That's the last memory of Esau that Jacob has. So he's about to head back to the promised land, but he knows if he's going to go back home, he's ha- he has to deal with his brother first. So let's, let's read verse, 30, verse 1 down through verse 21 in chapter 32. We still find that Jacob is struggling to trust the Lord. Look at verse 1, chapter 32, verse 1. And Jacob went on his way, and the angels of God met him. That's, that, I don't want to lose sight of that. That's a big deal. The angels of God, they don't just come along, and you don't just see the angels of God. And it's not just a couple of angels, by the way. The Bible says in the next verse, it's a host. Look at verse 2. And when Jacob saw them, he said, this is God's host. And he called the name of that place Mahanaim, which means, it means camp of God. And Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau, his brother, under the land of Seir, the country of Edom. And he commanded them, saying, Thus shall ye speak unto my lord Esau. Thy servant Jacob saith thus, I have sojourned with Laban and stayed there until now. And I have oxen and asses, flocks and men servants and women servants. And I have sent to tell my lord that I may find grace in thy sight. And when the, and the messengers returned to Jacob, saying, We came to thy brother Esau, and also he cometh to, cometh to meet thee, and four hundred men with him. Now, I don't know what your thoughts would be. You've got a brother, the last thing you knew, he hated you, and then your messengers come back and say, He's coming with four hundred dudes. Sorry, that's Hebrew, I think, probably. They, I mean, I would be afraid. And verse 7 says, guess what? Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. And he divided the people that was with him and the flocks, the herds, and the camels into two bands. And said, if Esau come to the one company and smite it, then the other company which is left shall escape. You know what Jacob is doing? Jacob is reverting back to his old nature I've got to come up with my own plans to make this work. 
So, I mean, there's some wisdom in dealing with Esau because he left wrong, but he's, his plan is not what God's telling him to do. He's coming up with his own thing. Uh, verse 9, And Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham, and God of my father Isaac... Now, this is a prayer. By the way, this is incredible. The Lord would say it unto me, Return unto my country and do thy kindred, and I will deal well with thee. I am not worthy of the least of all the mercies and of all the truth which thou hast showed unto thy servant. For with my staff I passed over this Jordan, and now I am become two bands. Deliver me, I pray thee, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him lest he will come and smite me and the mother with the children. And thou sayest, I will surely do thee good and make thy seed as, as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. And I wish we could stop right there. Because that's an incredible prayer, the faith that Jacob has. But it seems like as soon as he stands up, he forgets the trust he just had. Verse 13, and he lodged there that same night and took of that which came to his hand a present for Esau, his brother, 200 she-goats and 20 he-goats, 200 ewes and 20 rams, 30 milch camels with their colts, 40 kine and 10 bulls, 20 she-asses and 10 foals. And he delivered them into the hand of his servant, every drove by themselves, and said unto his servants, Pass over before me and put a space betwixt drove and drove. You know, so you understand, he wants this wave of camels to come in. He wants Esau to be like, wow, camels. And then he sends 220 sheep, just wave after wave. He doesn't want it all to come at once. He wants it just to keep coming so it looks more impressive. It's kind of like, you know, when you turn in a paper and it has to be 500 words and you're just kind of filling it in so the teacher thinks, you know, wow, this is really impressive. He's trying to just impress Esau. He wants it to look really impressive. You know, Jacob is doing his own thing. He's trying to come up with his own plans. Verse 17, and he commanded the foremost, saying, When he saw my brother meeteth thee, and asketh thee, saying, Whose art thou, and whither goest thou, and whose are these before thee? Then thou shalt say, and notice the, the language, They be thy servant, Jacob's. It is a present sent unto my Lord Esau. And behold, also he is behind us. And so commanded he the second and the third and all that followed the droves, saying, On this manner shall ye speak unto Esau when he find him. And say ye moreover, Behold, thy servant Jacob is behind us. And this is a phrase that really caught my attention. For he said, I will appease him. I will appease him with the present that goeth before me. And afterward I'll see his face, peradventure he will accept of me. So went the present over before him and himself lodged that night in the company. The rest of the chapter deals with the angel, the Lord, coming to meet Jacob and them wrestling. And that'll be for next time. But I wanted to stop here because there's a tendency in Jacob that I see in us too. I'm calling it tonight, today, the battle of two camps. Because you have God's camp and you have Jacob's camp. And when it comes down to it, which one is Jacob trusting to get him out of the mess? The battle of two camps. Not that the camps are battling, but because all of us in our lives have a choice. When it comes to trouble, are we going to trust God's camp 
or are we going to trust our camp? And most of the time, we trust our camp. So let's pray and ask God to bless our time. Father, we love you. We need you. We cannot do this without you. We pray that you bless the reading of your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. What should have been a feeling of elation for Jacob has turned into the heaviness of dread. All he can think about is his brother Esau. Because years before Jacob had manipulated Esau out of the birthright and deceived his father Isaac out of the blessing. And even though, don't forget, even though it was the fulfillment of God's plan that Jacob received the blessing. God had said before the boys were born, Jacob and Esau, remember they're twins. And he told Rachel, there are twin boys inside of you, two great nations inside of you. And the elder shall serve the younger. So it was God's plan that Jacob would be the ruler over Esau. That was what God wanted. But Jacob felt like he had to be the one to make it all happen. And because he got his hands in it, Esau blamed Jacob for losing what he felt like he deserved. So the last time that Jacob and Esau were together, Esau was saying something like this. When our dad dies and we're done mourning, I'm going to kill you. And this was not an empty threat. Now, siblings probably say that to each other more than they should. I'm going to kill you. As soon as mom and dad aren't looking. Now, if your house is anything like mine, I had an older sister. Therefore, violence. Okay? So, from her, not from me. You know, Jacob is like the little kid in school when the bully says, I'll see you at recess. That's where Jacob's heart is. That's where his mindset is right now. And he's a self-sufficient man. And too often he took things into his own account. He took things into his own hands. He was one of those guys that said, if I want it done right, I'm going to do it myself. And there are some times where you have to be that way. But when it comes to you doing it or God doing it, Jacob should have learned by now that his, his life is better off in the hands of God than in Jacob's hands. It, because, I mean, think about how God had, had guided him every step of the way. Uh, finding Laban through the wilderness, walking. When he left, all he had was his staff. He just said that. And yet God took him through the wilderness and took him right to Laban's family where he met Rachel and, and, and he started a family and he has children now and immense wealth and he's been protected from Laban in every step, every turn. There's the pilot car, every turn. Hazard after hazard, mistake after mistake, the Lord has protected him. And chapter 32 begins with another reassurance that the Lord wants Jacob to know that God is in control. If you will follow my program, then I will protect you. That's what he says. If you'll get with the program, Jacob, I'll give you my protection. Because Jacob comes to this place and he sees the vision of God's angels. It's a host. See, what was happening is the Lord was comforting Jacob by allowing him to get a glimpse of, of these angels. The Lord is comforting Jacob. The Lord's giving confidence to Jacob. And we don't, we don't have these kind of visible revelations anymore uh, because we believe that God has revealed himself through his word. It's a, this is closed revelation, meaning, folks, everything that you need to know about God, you can find between these, these two pieces, this piece of leather in these pages. You can find it right here. This is what God wants to know about us. And I would say be careful of those that, that claim that they have other revelation coming from them 
directly from God, especially if it doesn't line up with God's word. And so this is before the revelation in the canon of scripture. And so God reveals these angels. And now I believe that God could reveal, if he wanted us to, he could take down the curtain and we could see this, this uh, supernatural world going on around us. I believe it's real. I believe it's there. We just don't see it all the time. Jacob sees these angels and the first time, this isn't the first time, the first time was in Genesis 28. Remember when he was leaving the promised land, God gave him a vision. Angels is descending and ascending and, and he called it, remember what he called it? He called it Bethel, that place, the house of God, the place where heaven meets earth. And, and he had confidence that God was with him. Well, now he's going back into the promised land. And guess what? God gives him another revelation. And the revelation, the point of it is that, hey, I'm still with you. I want you to have comfort. I want you to have confidence that I'm with you. Be still and know that I'm God. That I'm exalted among the heathen. I will be exalted in the earth. Psalm, the psalmist said, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Referencing this thought right here. That when God wanted Jacob to know that he was in control. And that Jacob could have comfort. And Jacob could have confidence. God let Jacob see angels. He sent it exactly what Jacob needed, the right time and the right place. And I'm thankful that God does that for us too, aren't you? God is working on our behalf. And God has a host and he has power and he has resources. And every once in a while, he just lets us get a glimpse that he's in control. He does something for us. He sends somebody our way. The right words at the right time with the right force. And when we're full of fear, I'm telling you, it can be a help to us when God does that for us. Because Jacob is full of fear. He's afraid of what Esau might do to his camp. He's afraid and the Lord's reminding him, I have your back. And I'm thankful that's what this vision was supposed to do for Jacob. And it is what it's supposed to do for us. God gives us comfort. And if our God has that kind of, has that kind of host, I mean, think about it. If our Lord has that kind of a host, if he controls that kind of, uh, of an army of angels, then we know that God, there's nothing that God, God can't do for us. But there's something to remember. The comfort of God's presence doesn't mean the absence of the hazard. I've said this so many times and I want you to get it again because it'll help you when you face a hazard to remember that God doesn't promise to take us around the hazard, but he does promise to be with us through it. God is my refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. And I'm not, now I'm not a, Hebrew expert, but there are quite a few plays on words here or repeating Hebrew words, uh, and, and that has something to do with our, with our message this morning. I'm not just throwing these things out there to impress you because I'm not uh, an expert in the Hebrew language, but one of the words that you notice here is what Jacob called this place at the end of verse 2. He said that he called the name of that place Mahanaim, Mahanaim, which also, it's a plural word. It means camp of God. But it can also mean two camps. And so what, what the idea is that maybe God, is, God has his host of angels. That's one camp. And then Jacob has his host. That's the other camp. And his host is pretty impressive. 
I mean, Jacob has, he's got, uh, he's got a family, he's got children, he's got animals. I mean, as far as the eye can see, he's got this pr impressive camp. So you have these two camps. The other word that gets repeated here is messengers. God reveals his messengers, these angels, to Jacob. They're sending him the message that I'm in control. And then Jacob then turns around and he comes up with his own messengers and he sends his messengers to Esau. When his messengers go to Esau and they come back and say Esau is coming with 400 men, that's not what Jacob wanted to hear. So Jacob splits his camp into two camps. He takes his host and he splits it up into two. Now, Hebrew linguists will note that there's a connected pattern here. Basically, the idea is that Jacob, in verse 1 and 2, these messengers come and there's a camp. Well, Jacob knows he's got to come up with a plan for Esau, so he's got his camp and he sends his messengers. When they come back with news he doesn't want to hear, now he splits it up and he's got his two camps. And you say, well, Jacob is being proactive. But there's nothing in here that says that God is telling him to do this. Right. See, remember, Jacob's the kind of guy that takes matters into his own hands. And he, he, he doesn't, just because he's grown, doesn't mean that he's not, he doesn't have the tendencies he used to. And just because you've grown in your faith, it doesn't mean your weaknesses aren't still your weaknesses. Right. And listen, we've got to be careful. The longer that we're saved and the longer we're in church and the more we look the part, we think, well, I don't have to worry about that sin anymore. Well, yes, you do. You're still who you are. You still have those tendencies and those former lusts. They're still there. Don't think that just because you've grown a little bit doesn't mean you don't have to worry about those things anymore. Your nature hasn't gone away just because you've worn a suit for a few years. It takes the right hazard in the right moment of weakness in your life for it all to blow up. And we see this in Jacob, his old nature comes out. And there are some that believe there's wisdom. And listen, and I, I don't want to be too hard on him. I believe he was trying to, he was making some form of a reconciliation attempt. And honestly, Jacob should have been worried about that. He should have been concerned with the fact that he left his family wrong. When he left, he did not tie up the loose ends. He didn't make things right with his family. He just left. And I believe in there is in something in him. There is something that realizes I've got to own up to my mistakes. I've got, to, I've got to make this right. But even the way that Jacob sent the messengers to speak to Esau was minimizing God's blessings. So yes, maybe his motive was to make things right. But his method was not right because he says, go to Esau and tell them, he says, uh, he says, you're my Lord. He says, my Lord, I'm your servant. He said, basically, uh, you're my master. You, you own me, you know, I, I owe you. And, and what he was doing is he's, he's, he's trying, in my opinion, he's trying to repay the blessing that he stole from Esau. He knows what he did was wrong, and he's trying to repay it somehow. And I think he's minimizing God's blessings by saying, Oh, my Lord Esau, oh, take this gift. Take this gift so that I can find grace in your sight. Uh, no, don't, for, don't forget that God said the elder shall, shall serve the younger. Jacob was not in a position of, of servitude. Jacob is not to be bowing before Esau. God had put him in a position of authority. He was the one supposed to receive the blessing. 
It wasn't right for him to compromise what God had given him just to find favor with Esau. But when you consider how afraid he was, it's also not very surprising. His pattern of fear was a very real, real problem. Verse 7, Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. And he's so afraid that he comes up with his own version, his version of two camps. See, I, I think there was him saying, look at that camp. Uh, the camp of God, the host of the Lord, that's impressive. And look at my camp, this is pretty impressive too. He said, and so he starts to get these ideas. He says, but I've got to do something or we're in trouble. So he takes his camp and he splits it up into two camps. Now he's got his own version of two camps. And these actions, they're not actions of faith. The Lord had just given Jacob a vision of power. The Lord had just given Jacob a vision of protection and support, yet fear seems to be leading him in this moment. You ever been in a moment like that where you're just afraid and you're not really thinking about what makes the most sense? You're just trying to respond however seems right in that moment? You know, we do that. It's a human tendency. When a crisis comes, one moment we're up, I've got faith. The next moment we're down. The world's falling apart. And we tend to respond to the situation based on our emotions in the moment. It's an emotional roller coaster. When you face a crisis, when you face something beyond yourself, you're, you're, it's on a roller coaster ride. But Jacob gives us a great model here of what to do uh, in the middle of it. I'm not saying he does everything right, but this prayer is a, is a highlight of his life. See, our first act in a hazard should be a prayer of faith. Every time. When you're facing a crisis, your first act should be on your knees. And this prayer of Jacob is a great pattern. Just want you to, let's just look at what he says. Verse 9. And Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham, and God of my father Isaac, the Lord, which saith unto me, return unto thy country and to thy kindred, and I will deal well with thee. You know what Jacob says? He said, listen, I am following your plan. God, you told me to return, and so I'm following you. And listen, it is a good pattern. It's okay for us to verbalize when we pray the things that, we have, that we've tried to do right for the Lord. God, I've been in church. I've followed you. I'm doing what you told me to. I'm not perfect, but I'm trying to live my life your way. I'm with your program. And listen, if an imperfect Jacob could pray that, then we can too. We don't have to be perfect to get with the program. As a matter of fact, the face of God's program on earth is the local New Testament church. And if perfection was a requirement to be a member at Eastside, there'd be nobody here today. None of us are perfect. Listen, you don't have to clean it up first to get with God's program. If you get with God's program, he will clean you up. Amen. You don't have to come in here with all the answers You'll find the answers if you just say, I'm going to get with your program, because that's what Jacob was doing. Just trying to get with the program, and God was helping him every step of the way. So he reminds him in this prayer, God, I'm following your plan. In verse 10, he says, I've experienced your favor. Look at verse 10. I'm not worthy of the least of all the mercies and of all the truth which thou hast showed unto thy servant. For with my staff, I passed over this Jordan, and now I am become two bands. You know what he says? God, you've shown me favor. I am so unworthy. I don't deserve anything. Anything good I have has come from you. He says, when I crossed the Jordan River 20 years ago, I had a stick in my hand. 
All I had was a staff. And now look. I have enough that I could split this into two camps. And it's not because of what I've done, God. It's because of what you've done in my life. You have shown favor to this unworthy servant. And listen, when you pray, you better remember what God has given you. Where would we be without God's favor? Uh, we would be on our way to hell, separated from God for eternity. No hope. We'd be dead. We'd be miserable. Anything good that we have is because we have a father who gives good gifts. We owe it all to him. Jacob in verse 11 says, Deliver me, I pray thee, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him. There it is again. Lest he will come and smite me and the mother with the children. He says, I'm in desperate need of your deliverance. You know, when you pray, it'd be good for you to remember and to let God know, I know if I don't get an answer from you, I have no hope in this situation. Amen. When you pray, just, don't, just throw out the prayer jargon. Okay, can we just get honest? Let's just throw out the prayer jargon we've heard our whole lives and just be honest and be transparent with God. Amen. And I'm not saying that you should be trite or you should be irreverent with God. He's not your bro. He's, not just, your, he's just not some guy you're talking to. Yeah, no, he is a God of heaven who is holy, but he wants to hear your prayers. So stop with the jargon. Stop with the flowery language and just be honest with God. And say, God, if you don't help me, I have no hope in this situation. God's not interested in flowery words. He's interested in his spirit helping us utter words we don't even know we're supposed to say. That's what his, the Bible says. Father, without you, I am doomed. Without you, I can do nothing. That's what Jacob prays. Verse 12 and thou sayest, I will surely do thee good and make thy seed as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. You know what else he says? God, I'm counting on your promises. You, you made these promises and I'm claiming them. Father, he prays God's word. It's a great idea. Father, you said, if we confess our sins, you're faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And yet I can't tell you how many people I know that their life is plagued by guilt and shame over what they've done when all they have to do is pray the promise of God that if we confess our sins, he'll forgive us for them. Amen. Yes. And if he promises that, claim that promise and live by it. Yes. Don't let the guilt of your unconfessed sin build up. No, pray God's promise. Father, you said there's no temptation taken us, but such as is common to man. But you're faithful and you'll not suffer us to be tempted above that we're able. But you'll with the temptation make a way for us to escape that we may be able to bear it. And Father, I know this temptation, this trial, it feels very heavy. And it feels like it's more than I can even ever stand to bear. But you promise that you won't ever put me in a position that you won't give me the grace to handle. Claim that prayer when you pray. Pray the promises of God. I claim that, God, because you said it and what you promise is always true. Listen, this is a prayer of faith. Jacob was up and down, but in this moment on his knees, this is when he stands the tallest. I really believe that this is maybe the, one of the high points of Jacob's life. This prayer reflects it. And I wish I could stop right here. But the Bible doesn't cut out the cringy parts. See, that's one way that I know the Bible's true. Because 
God gives us the good and he gives us the bad. And we've just seen Jacob's good, but we're about to see him revert back to the bad because here it is. Our tendency is to pray nice prayers, but try to answer them ourselves. See, even after this prayer, Jacob tries to get himself out of the mess rather than let God do it. And I already read it to you. You know, he lodged there the same night. Verse 13, he took of that which came to his hand at present. So he takes, he just had this mountaintop of faith, this prayer. But when he stands up, he's like he's not depending on God to do what God's already promised to do. So he splits up his camp and he sends 550 animals. Okay, now, we've had people give us animals before as gifts, and that makes us no longer friends. <laughs> Listen, if you give me an animal for a gift, that is not a good gift, okay? Neither is a toy that makes, that makes a bunch of noise for children. Don't give those gifts. <laughs> or Legos. We don't need any more of those either. <laughs> I've stepped on too many to appreciate Legos. Now, if I sent you a gift... If I send you a puppy for Christmas, you may not like it. Here's Jacob sending 550 animals to Esau. Now, in that day, that would have been quite a gift. 550 animals. I mean, drove after drove after drove. Waves of animals just keep coming. He splits up his camp. Now, I believe that Jacob is trying to give the blessing back to Esau because he feels bad. He's guilty, he's afraid. He'd rather save his own skin than, honestly, than keep his blessing. It's a short-sighted attempt to save himself in the moment. And God's people do this all the time because we want to fit in or we want to smooth things over with people or we want to fit in at school. Young people, you want to fit in with your friends at school or we want open doors and so we tend to compromise be careful of that mentality. Don't give away what God has given you just to gain favor with somebody else. Jacob's not Esau's servant. Esau's not his Lord. God made Jacob the ruler. And Jacob's trying to deliver himself from a crisis. He's trying to answer his own prayer. His prayer was awesome. His actions are not a faith. The phrase that tells us that Jacob is all in on his own effort is found in verse 20 when he says, Ye say moreover, behold, thy servant Jacob is behind him for behind us, for he said, I will appease him with the present. I will appease him. I will make things right. What Jacob is saying is, I will appease Esau and I'll earn his forgiveness. I will atone for my past and my mistakes, and maybe Esau will be able to look me in the face again. I will appease. I have to make this happen. I have to figure this out for myself. And look at verse 21. It says, so went the present over before him and himself lodged that night in the company. You know what company is? You know what the word for company is? Machana, machaneum, camp. There's the word again. And it really does symbolize this whole story. Because this is the battle of two camps in Jacob's own, his own mind. See, God has a camp. It's a host. And it's full of power. And that should give comfort. It represents God's resources. But Jacob has a camp. And Jacob's camp is pretty impressive too. It's so big, he could split it two ways. 
But let's compare camps. Okay, get, just bear with me as we come down to this. God, compared to God's camp, is there anything impressive about Jacob's camp? You've got a host of angel warriors in the sky and they're sending God's messages and they're doing God's work and they're helping God's people. And at times they're even extending God's judgment. That's the power of God's camp. And now you've got Jacob's camp. Sheep. Goats. Donkeys. Camels. Wives and children. And it's so big you could split it into two. And that's pretty impressive. Well, not really. Because God has a host of warrior angels. And Jacob trusts a petting zoo. I mean, I'm not trying to be silly about it. That's literally what's happening. Got two camps. One of them is full of God's warrior angels. And the other, it's a petting zoo. And what we see here is this constant battle between trusting the Lord's resources or trusting ours. And when you trust in God's camp, you get what God has to offer. But when you trust in your camp, then you get all you have to offer. And that's kind of a mm, tough call. Not really. It's kind of like, you know, let's say we have a snowstorm and you say, well, it's March 27th. Yeah, let's say we have a snowstorm. <laughs> so we have a snowstorm and you're, you're driving to church along with everyone else because snow does not deter you. <laughs> so you're driving to church and you go to take a turn and you take it a little bit too fast and you slide your car into a ditch. How many of you have been there? Okay, all right, you've been in the ditch. The ditches of life. <laughs> New sermon title. So you're, you slide into the ditch and you know, you're on the route to church so you think, well, somebody else is going to come along. Well, the first person that comes along is, I'm going to use two new members, Jim Floff, okay? But Jim and Allison, new members, they're awesome, okay? Thankful they're at Eastside. Well, Brother Jim has a Dodge Ram 3500 4x4. It looks like it could be one of the trucks carrying the house down Minnesota Avenue, okay? <laughs> it's awesome. He pulls up. And right behind him, I already asked Eric for permission. Here comes Eric Wong. And Eric is smarter than all of us because he drives a Prius, and right now, I wish I had a Prius. <laughs> so he pulls up right behind Brother Jim. And you see your car in the ditch. And you see Brother Jim's Dodge Ram 3500. And you see Eric's Prius. And you say, hmm. Man, I don't know. They both have a chain and a rope. And they're like, okay, pick. Say, if the weather is good and I'm just driving, Eric, your car is way cheaper to fill up. But in this situation, I'm in a ditch. I'm in a crisis. And I don't, I don't, I don't just need a friend here. I need somebody to pull me out of this. So I love Eric. But I'm, I'm sorry, I got to pick Jim. 
you got two camps in life. One camp provides everything God can do. The other camp is everything you can do. Hmm. Man, that's a tough call. I mean, uh, it's a petting zoo. Warrior angels. Petting zoo? Warrior angels. And I'm not trying to make light of this. I'm trying to see how laughably silly it is when we try to do things our way instead of God's. And you know, people do this kind of stuff all the time. My camp or God's. Let's talk about salvation. So you're a sinner. You've offended God. And if you died in your sin right now without receiving Christ, you would die and you'd spend eternity in hell. Separated from God. And I hope that you understand this is out of heart of, a lo- heart of love. I'm not trying to stand here and slam you and I'm not trying to make you feel bad. I'm telling you what the Bible says because don't trust me This is God's authority. And Jesus said there's a literal place called hell. And if you die in your sin, you'll spend eternity there. So you're a sinner. And and all you can do for yourself is work your hardest. And when you come to the end of your life, you're going to stand before God. And you know what he's going to say? It's not enough. He said, I sent my son, Jesus Christ, a holy, perfect Lamb, to die on a cross in your place, to take care of all of your sin, that's my camp. But many people will live their whole lives and they're like, I'm a sinner, I can work my way, it'll never be good enough. Jesus already did the work. Right. Like, mmm. Yeah. Man, t- tough call. You listen, your way, there's a way which seemeth right unto a man. But the end thereof are the ways of death. Your way, the best you can do, your way is death. The best you can do God's way is eternal life. Jesus died on a cross for your sins. So when you come to this decision, say, my camp or God's? This is the Dodge Ram 3500. No offense, Brother Eric. When it comes down to, comes to, to raising your kids, listen, all, if, all, if you don't try to seek help and you try to do it the way you were raised and you don't try to get help from anybody else, you don't seek the Lord, listen, your way will only take you so far. There'll be, there will be a day raising kids where you'll come to something you don't know how to answer. That's all your camp can do. But God's camp, he gives us, he gives us the blueprint Now, not every child chooses to follow that, but we have a blueprint. And, hmm, boy, this is tough. Listen, do you want your kids to turn out for the Lord? Give them the best shot they can and go with God's camp. You got strength, your own strength. Listen, you say, I'm strong, I'm, I'm healthy, I'm vibrant, I got life, I've got experience, I can do this. The Christian life, I've been doing it a long time. 
There's going to come a day where you don't have the same strength and you don't have the same wisdom and you don't have the answers anymore. And God yet always has something to give us. If we fully depend on him and abide in him, he gives us the strength we need all the time. His strength is made perfect in our weakness. And yet many of us as Christians are like, oh boy, I don't know. My camp, do it on my own or do it without God. I can do this. Why would you? I think about, I think about death. Death is that one inconquerable fear that most people have. In our strength, and so tell me, how many people do you know in their own strength that figured, out, figured a way around it? Are you awake? Tell me how many people you know that figured out how to, how to beat death. And yet, God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on a cross, and he died. He was buried, literally buried. But on the third day, he walked out of the tomb. Yes. Amen. So God's camp has power over death. Your camp, the only option you have is death. God provides life. All we can do is death. If we trust God's camp, we get what he has to offer, which is eternal life. And today it's time for us to stop leaning on our petting zoos and trust in a God who has all power and all ability and all strength. Listen, this applies in every single thing you can think of in life. In all of these areas, life is full of hazards and crises and obstacles, problems, and they're going to cause you to be so afraid you're going to be in despair because you know that your resources can't provide the answers for what you need. So my question today is, why trust in a resource with limitations when you can turn to a God who has none? Why would you trust in a resource with limitations when you can turn to a God who has none? This weekend, I went to, <clears throat> I went to the ladies' retreat. It was an experience. I drove the bus <clears throat> with my noise-canceling headphones. So on Friday, I, I decided to go take a hike. My wife tells me to do it all the time, so I finally took her advice. <laughs> so I went on a hike, and I went up to this place called Mount Baldy, there by, between Keystone and Camp Judson, where the ladies were, and I, I went around and started on the other side, walked up, <clears throat> and I started late in the afternoon. And it was about, it's like a three-mile round-trip hike. And so I was looking at my watch, and okay, sunset's about 7.15, and you know, it's, it's almost 6 o'clock. You know, so I kind of I raced up the mountain, if you want to call it that. And, and the trail's not very well marked. I'll just say this, the Mount Rushmore National Forest needs to do a better job <laughs> at marking the trails. So along the way, just in case, I would drop a pin on my phone. So I'd drop a pin and go a little ways, drop a pin. There were some markers, but you had to get to them first. And then even though, even though there are markers, there's no trail in between the markers sometimes. So you could go the wrong direction and not realize it. 
So I went to the top, almost to the top, took some pictures. It's getting dark. It's getting cold. It was in the 40s. Nobody knew where I was. So I started walking down the trail, and I get to a marker, and I go the direction that I think I'm supposed to go. It wasn't the direction I was supposed to go. And I pride myself in my directions, okay? Because I'm a man, okay? <laughs> That's what we do. But I, 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 had, I was, man, I was sure this was the direction. So I went back to the marker. I found the marker and I said, okay, here's the marker. Where's the trail? It's getting dark. It's getting cold. I'm surrounded by wolves and bears and... <laughs> In my mind, in my mind, okay, not really. But your mind starts racing. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation like that. It wasn't long. It really wasn't that scary. But I'm starting to think, okay, what if I can't find my way? Like, I mean, I, have I watched enough episodes of Survivor with Bear Grylls or something like that to let me know what to eat if I'm lost out here for weeks? And, I mean, I don't, I don't know. I started thinking about those things. So in that moment, the literally in that moment, here's what I did. I said, okay, I can either succumb to my emotions, fear, or wait. I dropped the pen. And, and so I pulled up my phone and found the pen. I saw the blue dot. I saw the pen. And I thought, all I have to do is get to that place. I have to, so I took some deep breaths. And then I started going the direction of the pen. Because in that moment, that pen was an objective marker. My emotions were not. And I had to stop feeling in the moment. And I had to go with what I knew to be true. And what is true is that pen will get me out of here. So after 20 minutes or so, I finally got to the place where I found the next marker... And sure enough, it was on the path toward my pen. But it really illustrates what we have to do when we face a crisis. See, we can either go based on what we're feeling, our emotions, and we're afraid, and we're distressed, and we say, okay, look, I've got all these resources, and you know, I think I have enough. I'm going to split this up and split that up. You know, we're going to send you across. We're going to stay over here. We're, oh, man, do, can, I, can I make this happen? Or... We just stop and look. Wait, God has reminded me many, many times that he is more than what I need. And his resources are what I need. So no matter what I'm facing, no matter how big the obstacle, no matter how bad the crisis, I know for certain that if I look up, God's camp is better than mine. So in the end, I need to stop trying to do things in my, with my strength and wisdom and resources my way, and I just need to trust God. You trust in God's camp, you will live in confidence because his resources have no limitations. So my question to you is, why trust in a resource with limitations when you can turn to a God who has none? Salvation, raising children, marriage, a health need, financial need. You have a God with unlimited resources who wants to comfort and give you confidence. If you'll simply stop trusting in your plans.
and look to his. Let's stand together. Are you saved this morning? Do you know that if you died today that you'd be on your way to heaven? Listen, there, there are countless people on this planet who think they're doing fine and they're not. They're trusting their own camp to take them to heaven and they're not going to get there. There's only one path and that is through Jesus Christ. The work has been done. Stop trying to figure it out on your own and trust in the finished work of Jesus. Maybe that's you this morning. And you say, I don't know that if I died today, I'd be on my way to heaven. You can leave this building knowing. Would you give us the opportunity to show you from God's word how you can be saved? When we have a verse of invitation in a moment, I'm just going to ask if you, if, you're, if you have a question, just step forward. We've got men, ladies that could deal with you and show you from God's word. It's not our way, it's God's way. And Jesus Christ has done the work. Christian, have you been trying to do something in your own strength? Been trying to figure it out. Maybe you've got your camp split up and you're like, okay, if I do this and I do that. No, you just need to stop. Stop going based on what you feel or what seems right and you need to look up. You need to find that objective marker in your life, which is that God has resources to meet my every need. And I'm done trusting mine. In whatever situation, whatever application, would you place your faith in a God with no limitations this morning? Father, we pray that you'd work through this message. Speak to hearts. God, we pray that you'd help us to have the courage to make a decision. If there is someone here who's not saved, God, I pray that you'd give them the courage to step out and we could show them from God's word how they can spend eternity in heaven. God, if there's a Christian here who's been trying to do things in their strength, help us to turn away from our camp, our resources, and turn back to a God who has so many times through his word shown us he's more than enough. We pray for your help and leading in Jesus' name. Amen. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.